0: Um, they yeah, have many different. They have many different questions. I don't know even if we will get to them all today. I don't know how much time you have, but um, one one question which I had asked on YouTube. Maybe we could start with that. Was about the the term peripheral awareness. So um, basically, like I had, I read your essay about it, and I listened to a couple of videos, but. Basically, whenever you whenever you start talking about peripheral awareness, I would get a little bit um, confused because the word is not like it word; it can be interpreted different ways. So I was trying to understand exactly what it means, the peripheral awareness, mm. and what I had what I had asked on, when I wrote on YouTube. I basically kind of tried to describe how I was understanding it so that you could. Tell me if it was correct or not. Mm. Um, and how I how I had kind of what I had gathered from it was that it's basically like, let's say if I'm sitting here talking to you on the chair. Example: mm. You talk about being having peripheral awareness with the reference point of sitting. So, example: I'm sitting here talking to you on the chair, formulating my question and figuring out how to put it well. And I should have like a kind of background awareness
1: of the fact that I'm sitting mm-hmm. for example um well sort of in a way you, you just maybe before we get too far into it uh mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like you must have it in a sense of I must make this effort and maintain this background you just need to recognize it as that which is already there that's in those talks I think mm-hmm. I was I was when I was describing peripheral awareness, I ended up talking about the knowledge, which is already peripheral in its nature. So you already know you're seated. You already know the door is closed. You already know uh, you're talking to me. So all these things are already there. So that's why, and, and you are not attending them. You don't need to keep telling to yourself while you're yeah. talking to me that you are seated, you are seated. But if I were to ask in the middle of your sentence about something different, are you seated? You would immediately have the answer. Yeah. Which means that knowledge yes. is already there, without rec- not not being required to be to be directly attended. So it's peripheral. Yeah. So peripheral awareness yeah. would be basically the recognition of that which you already know there, which is the basis of your situation. Um, so it, it, it's it's subtler because often yes, people would kind of hear it and then immediately mean ah, peripheral awareness is something I must do in this peripheral manner but then they end up still, in the same sense, trying to attend to it. Mm -hmm. But as I said... So then what's... uh Go on. I'll go on. No, no, I was just going to say, so instead of attending to, oh, I'm seated, I'm seated, you just want to recognise the level of that knowledge and not keep having to answer it to yourself because you already know the answer.
0: Um Okay, so then, but like, what would be the difference between, like, somebody who is practicing practicing peripheral awareness or kind of working on it? Is something you still have to work on? If I understand well, it's like not because otherwise. Sure. What I'm trying to understand is the difference between somebody practicing practicing mindfulness, uh-huh. as you explain. And somebody who's like a normal person just going about their daily life who also knows that the door is closed, who also knows that they're seated, who also knows that they're
1: Yeah, but they're not, that they're they're not, they're not aware of it. They know if they ask the question, but they don't have the awareness of their knowledge persisting as a base of their situation. Because if they did, they would experience this passion. They would not be able to engage with sensual desires and ill will, yet they do. Which means they don't have the right <laughs> knowledge. Like, yes, if they stop and ask themselves, they will know it. So it's not knowing that the door is closed or that you are seated, but it's being aware of the knowledge that the door is closed and you are seated while you are engaged with other things. So it's really the relationship between the peripheral and what you're choosing to attend to. And that's exactly why the mindfulness is that framework, the container. And and that's exactly why it needs developing, not just... Yeah, I know I'm seated. Mm. Full stop. I completed the mindfulness. No, is the relationship between your knowledge that you are seated and what you choose to do, intend, speak, think while you're seated, on the basis of that situation?
0: Okay. So you say it's okay. It's the relationship between the knowledge that you are seated and the and what you choose to do on the basis of that situation. So now okay so you're aware that you're seated you know that you you know like you're aware of that you know that you are seated Mm -hmm. in the sense and like so what uh, my other kind of question was so this like this like knowing being aware of being seated it's basically you're
1: basically aware of a sensation right like being aware that the no the, no no of no, your, no, no, your, body, not. your position. like you like you don't need sensations for the knowledge of your seated position you have the knowledge which is why you know what sensations to look for so the knowledge comes first not the sensations it's usually that expectation of your attention to find something more substantial that needs to discern these sensations they would then be a representation of the seated but you already know you're seated You can answer to me, are you seated? You could give me an immediate answer before you tap into your sensations of seated body, which is always secondary to the knowledge that you are already seated. So that's what I mean. It's actually subtler than than just attending to the sensations of, I don't know, touching the chair or something like that. It's the knowledge of it. Mm But I
0: know that I'm seated because I chose to sit down like I, I chose to sit down
1: and yeah. now, I am, now I'm seated yeah. and you don't need but sensations to confirm to you that what you already know that you're seated they're completely redundant actually how, did, how your body feels and how the chair where really it presses you and stuff it's, it's completely redundant you're seated you, and you said it yourself you know you're seated because you chose to sit down there were no sensations involved in your choice of sitting down it was like oh I want to sit down I need to sit down it's better to sit down all these other intentions. Yet, when we speak about it, people think, "Oh, sensa- why would you bring the sensations into it?" Then, when you realize it had nothing to do with neither your decision nor the knowledge of being seated. I mean, I know why because everybody does that. That's like the natural kind of, "I must look closer at these sensations or something," as if some somehow that analyzes more of you. No, you see, if you want to analyze the nature yeah. of being seated, as, as, exactly as you did, kind of spontaneously. Ah, intention to sit down brought me here, which means your intention to sit down is still present there with you. It wasn't half an hour ago when you sat. It remains enduring while you're seated. Because if your intention to be seated changes, you will stand up or lay down. So, and that's okay, another thing so that now I you talk about. Yeah, in the relationship with those other, in the same peripheral awareness talks, is that knowing the intention why you want to, like, oh, I'm doing this, and then knowing that while you're doing it, your intention is persistently kind of, it's enduring There is a binding factor. You're not like going to -to moment-to-moment awareness. No, the knowledge of what you want to do is the unifying factor of all of your particular little actions. So the knowledge of what you're going to do is basically the framework of your current action if you want to be mindful of it.
0: Okay, so um, if I try to kind of Put it in in language for uh, under six years old. It would be like, yeah, basically, I know that I, I know that I'm sitting down based on the fact that I that I had the intention to sit down, and it's like, and that I and that I still choose to keep sitting down. This is like the main. This is the first thing that comes. Sure. Like or the. So yeah because I agree I agree that sensation so, like so just now you don't need to, to
1: like you, you don't need to take that further in a sense what do I do now like with this knowledge of being seated you just need to start using it as a basis they will take away from being self-centered with your point of view towards what you attend to and see whatever you choose to attend to on a basis of this seated situation that's where the Buddha would say like when he was still the Bodhisattva in the forest, uh, walking, doing a walking meditation or, or something, and then he would say, if there is like an unwholesome state would arise in my mind, a fear or something, I would not change my position until I first dispel the fear. Then if I happened to be seated, and then there was lust or fear again, I wouldn't stand up until I dispel the fear. So he wouldn't change the basis of his situation because it would mean he acted out of lust or fear or anything unwholesome. So he used the base of situation as an enduring framework, container, for whatever present phenomenon has been kind of besetting his mind. But without the the factual basis of your situation, such as your body, your body posture, your current enduring feeling, anything from Satipatthana, you will be engaged with the current state of mind through your point of view. And that's exactly where that self-centeredness and conceit involves. It's not like the people are, uh, choose to be conceited. They just don't know. They have no other reference point between them and what they attend to. So the knowledge I'm describing, it's not like, oh, I need to clarify this knowledge more in a sense of get more details about it, although that can be helpful for somebody. It's more like now that I'm clear, now that I know it, I need to stop attending that and use it as a basis for what I'm attending and that's what I mean, the relationship between the two, that then eventually, you develop that sufficiently enough, your sense of self, the, sense, the self-centered point of view that chooses to attend and thinks it's the receptor of these things that come to your senses, will be made redundant. And then it's just, as the Buddha would say in Satipatthana, oh, he knows there is the presence of the lustful mind as the lustful mind, there is a non-lustful mind as a non-lustful mind, elated mind, depressed mind, doesn't matter, it's not like, I am depressed, I am lustful, I am hateful, or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. This, but this, I, this, I understand. I, I, like, I agree. The
1: um, Yeah, I think many people like get, get this it, part. No many people get this part from Satipatthana mm-hmm. but what I'm trying to describe is the only way to get it is to establish the mm-hmm. proper base of mindfulness on the level of the knowledge, not on the level of kind of sensations or something that I choose I choose yep. to attend as representative of the seated position which means still puts you in the center the driving seat
0: yeah and yeah this I this I agree to um, but like I like I agree if like always because always the mind like always people are just like looking at what they see what they hear what you what you think what you are mm. like what I what I want, what I don't want, what I feel, what I so this like if you look always outside, this I see that if you're just looking outside at the objects of my my senses or object of my like outside of my attention, then this is no good because it's just I am I am seeing this, I am hearing this, I am automatically is this.
1: Sure. What I would add there this is I, that even the notion of sensations is also another thing that's outside outside to your self-centeredness yeah so the only Mm -hmm. thing that's behind the only thing that's not outside of your uh, point of view not like the where your attention can land is what's peripheral to it which is the level of the knowledge you cannot Mm -hmm. make that into physical sense like because that becomes something you can attend so even your body posture is to be known as such not attended and felt, as often uh, described in contemporary sort of, you know, Buddhist teachings and so on.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's the that's the yeah, difference. Yeah. I'm I saying.
0: Mean, yeah. Like I understand. I like I agree with you about sensations, and that was why I was like kind of doubtful about this. Uh, kind of doubtful about the uh, the idea of of it if it consists of sensations then then it's not correct because you're just paying yeah you're just paying attention to something that's That's like in theory outside of you yeah Yeah, there's no wisdom that can arise from there and wisdom is like as you say it has to be on the level of what knows the thing that the thing that knows like the
1: the the wisdom (laughs) comes from the from basically completely bypassing and extinguishing that self-centered point of view when as i mm-hmm. said your sense of self yeah. is made redundant like you just know the mm-hmm. body is as such feelings as, as such uh thoughts are as are as such and so on so there is no like oh i am choosing this or I'm... there is choice present and then you choose whether to attend to it further or not based on the wisdom you developed Yep. So and that, that's what I mean somebody who is uh-huh. not free from that self-centeredness they cannot choose to cease to be self-centered because that would be a self-centered yeah. choice they make so they need to undermine it and how do you undermine it? by digging under and what's basically under from where you're standing it can be called peripheral not direct in front of you so that's why I use that word basically just to give the idea to people
0: yeah yeah okay so if i just to back up a bit like now yeah you now you kind of came back to it anyway Hmm. um when you use the word peripheral if i understand well you can correct me it's basically is it it meaning that it's not something it's not an object of your senses it's not an object like what is what is not the the direct object of Of your
1: attention Yeah Yeah, exactly Because if if it becomes A direct object Of your attention Then something else Is peripheral Because now What you're attending Can only be direct As opposed Mm. to peripheral
0: Yeah So it's not an object Of An object of your senses So like So it's not a sensation Not that you can't be Just paying attention To sensations Mm. Or sounds Mm. Or Or whatever Um and when you said example that you have to be kind of develop the awareness on the level of knowledge then this is on the level of like being aware of the almost being aware of the attention itself like being kind of
1: well being being aware of the peripheral of, of your attention what's peripheral to that which you're attending and that's exactly the definition of yoniso manasikara yoniso meaning the womb of your attention not the attention so in the same sense, an eye cannot see itself, but you know that there is an eye mm. present for as long as there is a sight present. So it's a already it's already a peripheral relationship even within your own senses, sense organs and sense objects. So that's the definition of Yoni Somanasikari. It's basically not like knowing where my attention came from in the past or something, analyzing the roots of my attention. Yeah. No, it's knowing mean, presently I mean, yeah. the basis for my current attention, a basis that cannot be attended. Because if I attend to it, something else is the basis for my current attending of that which I thought was the basis. Uh-huh. So if you keep trying to to, to yeah. kind of uh, attend it, it's like a dog chasing its own tail. To the extent you try to reach it, to that extent the tail escapes you.
0: So, so you were saying about you mentioned about actions as well about like the intention of your actions how you can be um, like have the peripheral aware like yeah keep this as the, have the basis have this as the basis of mindfulness essentially mm. um, and this I found is interesting because I because it's sort kind of easier for me it's easier to understand than than like a, a body posture. Because this is like if you intend like if you intend to do something, if you have an intention of even just moving or speaking or something, then like to be to keep the awareness of of intention I can understand this easier as a as a base of mindfulness because also, because it's something that like is really directly linked to removing uh, removing because your intentions are driven either driven usually by by uh, greed, by mm. like aversion, or by just by by moha, by not knowing. If I understand well, so then like being aware of the intention. But what I was less clear about was how you were kind of talking yeah. of it as a sort of like a general background of your um like general background of your experience or something. Um maybe I'm not remembering it well. Um but as I from what I can observe an intention is always something quite it's more like particular. It's quite specific. Like you oh, in the right, sense that I see, I see. Like right now I right, right. right well, now no, I have that's the not, intention of that's speaking this word.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that is a choice what you're talking about which is more particular but choice is basically intentional intention but the only reason you can make the choice is because you have general intentions as possibilities that you can choose because you can choose to speak or be silent you can choose to say one thing or the other and then it becomes particular making of the choice but that choice can only be made because these intentions are already given as possibilities so that's the difference between um, like intention and intentional intention, which is what we commonly call a choice. That's the difference between like um, the, the relationship between like the intentional mind, the citta, and then chetana, which is the actual intention of the choice that you make on account of the mind that gave you these options. So the lustful mind will lean your choices towards choices of lust and so on. Now, if you have wisdom on account uh, towards the whole situation, that's how you can then choose to say no, which is your first step, basically, sense restraint and so on. But the intention I'm talking about, it's not on the level of when you intentionally intend to it and then make a choice. That is particular. And the only reason it can be particular is because generally the intentions are given and waiting to, because you can also change your choice as well. You make a choice to do something, then you change your mind. Uh-huh. You still have the other options there.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. And those options are not particular. Um, they don't okay, sit in so front wait, of you. Like
0: so, when you say intention, you mean like basically the, all the possibilities of what you can do? Pretty
1: much, exactly. Yeah. Thoughts, images, dhammas on the level of possibilities. That's exactly what, what intentions are in that sense. And that's why you then can choose to intend okay. with, with a certain leaning of your mind and so on. And that's when it becomes a choice. So that's you, you are not responsible for the intentions, for their arising, but you're responsible for intentionally intending them on the basis of the lust, aversion, or delusion. And it's those choices that then will make those intentions arise more or less for you. So a person who keeps acting out of lust will have more options of lust presented to him. That's like even for the first six, seven years, Mara was harassing the Buddha, Hoping he will take a bite until he realized no his mind will never turn to this and then he left him alone And in many other similes that was described the experience of an Arahant Not that these intentions suddenly the recognitions of last aversion will kind of poof just disappear in a second But Arahant's intentional intention of those things he's incapable of so eventually these things will completely cool down and then even as these options that he's not responsible for it will cease to appear. Like the flies will cease to come to the basically, I don't know, a rotting meat if there is no more rotting meat left lying around. The flies will fly around a bit longer hoping for it, or crows, oh yeah, that was a simile in the suttas, it was the crow. Like Mara was like a crow seeking what can it bite, what can it pick on, but the Buddha provided nothing and then the crow just left it. So the, these intentionalities have just evaporated eventually Because they haven't been maintained and fed through these intentional intentions of lust, aversion, distraction, and so on.
0: Okay, so there's a point here. I'm um, struggling to get um, get a hold of because now. Okay, so in the beginning, you. Okay, so we have the level of like all the possibilities of what you can do. So, but this is, like, for everybody at any time, there's always the possibility of, let's say, like, of, uh, I don't know, let's just say you have an itch, everybody can decide whether to scratch the itch or not to scratch the itch. Okay. Like, there's both both possibilities there. Then you have the, the, then you have the, like, automatic decision or choice is not really it's automatic you decide to scratch the itch mostly for most people unless you are aware enough of the itch like unless you're aware enough beforehand to decide not to or to have the choice that that you see is there yeah. um and oh you couldn't continue
1: well yeah no that's but, exactly it so well, you, you have uh, you have the two choices because you don't have any other knowledge That's exactly why knowledge results in liberation. But if you say the gain knowledge that you shouldn't scratch, now you have an option to not scratch and you have a reason as an option to choose to, which you didn't have before. But if you develop that knowledge sufficiently enough and stop scratching, you will heal. So knowledge resulted in liberation. So it's not that these choices are universally present for everyone. I mean, of course, scratching the edge or not scratching it sure. But what we are talking about is the choices on the level of your mind for greed or non-greed, aversion or non-aversion. Delusion, non-delusion. And now choices of greed have like myriad ways of manifesting itself and so on, but all of them share the common nature of yeah. being rooted in greed, which is what you keep persistently choosing. So then if you start abstaining from that and learn that maybe greed is not good, suddenly you do recognize the choice of sense restraint. Like sense restraint, for example, an average man today in the world, he doesn't even have that as an option. It's inconceivable for a person to be sense restrained by their own will. It needs to be some sort of religious practice, some sort of faith-based determination in their mind. They cannot fathom it in any other way. But say you start actually understanding the nature of your condition and start seeing for yourself that scratching the itch is fundamentally making things worse. Now you have an option that you directly see as valuable, which you did not have before. So intentions change on the basis of your knowledge and basis of your other intent. because you chose to learn this. You chose to listen to the Dhamma. You chose to read the Suttas. So you are responsible now for cultivation of new intentions later on. And that's exactly what, what we said. Even Nibbana being asankata, being undetermined, it's actually determined. Determined by what? By one's decision to practice and develop it back in the day. Not immediately, but you know, when he left the household life and so on. So the choices he made towards Nibbana determined the Nibbana eventually, resulted in it.
0: um yeah so now yeah this I like this I, this I understand um so what I was trying to I was um yeah just I was trying to become clear on the okay so so now you say like for yeah for everybody they don't even realize example because they don't I would not say, yeah, most people you don't—they don't think about or you don't realize that you have a choice in regard to, like, in regard to what you do, because most of the time, um, you're like you're just automatically, like, by by default, you're driven by greed, aversion, delusion, from what I can um, observe. Well it, it, it becomes, well, it
1: becomes it becomes by but default because people choose to avoid responsibility for their own choices and their own actions. That's why we always go back to that as well. As a prerequisite for the right view, for the right mindfulness, like a pre-prerequisite is accepting responsibility for basically your choices, your intentions, your actions, for everything you feel, even if it's not your fault, you need to accept responsibility first because that will prevent you then from fueling, ignoring the nature of of your own choice that you do choose to make as such. uh, yeah. acting out of greed, aversion, delusion becomes automatic because you are choosing oblivion of towards your responsibility. You are ignoring it. You're turning a blind eye that then results in automatically following desires or scratching. And th- that's why then people say, oh, it's not my fault. I just have this desire. It, it's true. It's not your fault that your desire is automatic, but it is your fault that you ignore responsibility in regard to that, which is what makes that desire look automatic. And the reason people ignore that responsibility is it's unpleasant. And they don't have enough knowledge, wisdom. They haven't been told enough. They haven't understood sufficiently that actually, despite being unpleasant, accepting responsibility is beneficial for me. So they need to learn. Without knowledge, they will not do it. So it's a vicious circle of automatically perpetuating that which makes their desire automatic.
0: What I was I was referring to as well, like the fact that, let's say somebody is in a a conversation, and now the like one of the one of the people starts. I'm just to give an example. One of the people, like, sort of, uh, points out to something the other one has done wrong. Like, let's say you like you have uh, acted irresponsibly or something like that, and now like what happens for most people in this kind of situation because speaking is especially difficult like they will automatically just want to defend themselves mm. like automatically you just will re- reply without any without considering or without thinking about it without sure. like, even if even if you know like even if you want to practice or you know that like. I am not supposed to. I'm, I don't want to react in this way. I don't want to like act defensively, or I don't want to like. I don't want to behave in this way. I don't want to behave like in this sort of angry reaction. Uh-huh. But the reaction, like uh, the, the mind makes the reaction before you are able to like practice restraint in it, and then people only realize afterwards, like you become, sure. then you have regret. Oh no, I said that. I shouldn't have said that. Sure. Um, so. So, like in this in this sense, the like the choice of react the choice of uh, replying in a defensive way or in a kind of angry way. This is something that because at that at that moment there was no awareness there, there was no like block, there was nothing to like to, to stop it from arising. Like mm-hmm. the mind makes business by by itself, and then you realize afterwards. No. So, so what I was kind of wondering is. Is like is this, is this what you? I was wondering if this, if this is part of what you were referring to in the in the sense like the difference between like you have all the app you have the option of not replying in that way of not reacting defensively you do have the like you do have the choice mm-hmm. but because the but because the mind is sort of like it just reacts automatically without you. Without you
1: being aware, without you knowing, and then afterwards you realize. Well, yeah, not quite. Then at that point you did. It's automatic at a time, and as I said, the reason why it's automatic is because you maintain the basis for that. So you want to see where the problem is. In the same sense, you know, having a fever when you catch a virus is automatic. But what if you learn how to prevent catching a virus? You won't get a fever. So having a mind move and respond, even if you don't want to, and you can't catch it in time means we are doing something or, or maintaining something on some level that then makes that mind overwhelmed. And the very first thing, it's in the last talk we posted now, it's, it's, it comes down to that. Whether your value is towards management or towards uprooting. So if yeah. you think you shouldn't be saying this, you shouldn't be doing that, that's on the level of management, which as I said, everybody starts like that. But really, you want to see, I don't want to be affected. Whether I choose to speak or not, I should not be affected emotionally, but what was said to me.
0: Yeah.
1: And for that, you yeah. are responsible. And then you realize that is the basis for my mind automatically blurting things out that I shouldn't have said. I was affected. Mm-hmm. So how can then I not yeah. be affected? Then I don't have to worry what mine will say. Because it won't be rooted in self-defense, gratuitously or something like that. Which means it won't be unwholesome. That's why Arahan doesn't need to worry about his actions, in a sense, because he knows whatever he chooses to do will not be rooted in greed, aversion, or distraction or delusion. So in that sense, it's not automatic. That's what I mean. Mind blurting stuff, it's automatic. But you, through your other choices, when you're not affected, are maintaining the basis, which then makes the mind blurt things out verbally, or for some people physically as well.
0: Okay, um, so now kind of jumping a many jumping many subjects, but um, but yeah, no, I um, I actually listened to your to your last uh, talk yesterday, um, and and yeah, like I I I like agree with the with the points that. Like it's not enough to just like to become angry, let's say, when somebody says something that like points out something you have done wrong, or to and to want to defend. But even if you're kind of able to restrain yourself not to say it, it's not good enough. Like it's not good enough to sure. to avoid saying this. I mean, it would still be better than like saying the words yeah. and then having regret and of then course. having conflict. And that's another thing,
1: by the way. If the mind automatically blurts stuff out, means you haven't developed restraint sufficiently doesn't matter how pressing whatever you want to defend yourself against. The choice of not acting out by body, by speech, by mind always remains there. The fact that you acted out, the mind said something or thought something means you need to develop more. You need to be able to hold it more without actually letting And The more you become aware of that lack, so to speak, the more you'll be able to develop it. But if you think, not you specifically, but if a person might think, Oh, this, no, no. the speech happened automatically means you will not look for an upgrade there because you don't feel responsible for it now. See, you said, oh, it's automatic. It wasn't my fault. My fault is later or avoiding my fault is later what I do. No, it was automatic, but there is a certain basis for, for mind acting automatically, basis that lacks the restraint. So you can even, doesn't yeah. matter how automatic it is, you can always choose no. And that's the restraint, and then the wisdom yeah. can come out of it. So even even in a in a common sense of sense restraint, there is still something to be done there. Not necessarily. I must discern this basis, and why am I affected in the first place? Yeah, that's all on the level of the person and developing wisdom. But even if you don't get any of them, you can still keep your mouth shut, literally. So if you blurt out, means your verbal restraint hasn't been strengthened enough.
0: Yeah. Um... Yes, I mean like it's still I agree, it's still your fault. Like if you still if you um, if you kind of blurt out words automatically then it's still your you're your, still your fault, but it's your fault kind of in the sense that you were not you were you were not mindful enough and you were not restrained enough at that at that
1: point. Yeah, and from because, the point of view of one who practices that's a big fault. Without fixing that fault yeah. there is no progress. So it's not like, okay, I mean, sure, it's not as bad as somebody who is no interest in practice Dhamma, but you don't want to be comparing to that side of things. So restraint has not been developed. Thus, wisdom cannot arise in regard to speech, in regard to being affected by what what other people say. I cannot uproot my emotional kind of vulnerability, so to speak, until I fix this first. So that's what I mean. It's not automatic at all, in a sense. Like, it's just a symptom for which you're not directly responsible, in, in the sense of you are not generating the symptom, but you're fully responsible for, for the reason of that symptom.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when I say automatic, I kind of, uh, it's a way of, uh, of, of saying that, like, even though, like, you don't, you, yeah, it's it, it, the way of saying that you kind of don't deliberately sort of decide, mm, mm. now I will speak these words, because you know that you're not supposed to say them.
1: Yeah. That's what um, you need to you need you to really actually start kind of fabricating and investing effort to develop responsibility for things that don't necessarily feel they are fault, because that's the only way to then actually approve things correctly.
0: And especially in regard to speech, it's um like it's a it's an interesting point because like this what because we 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 have said and we both like we both agree that you if you are if you are speaking things without considering and then you then have regret later then it's it means that you're doing something wrong it means that you haven't developed enough enough restraint in regard to you, your speech and you don't have enough mindfulness but like, the kind of mindfulness that needs... This is the point I'm trying to come to, actually, is the the type of mindfulness that needs to be there in order to be able to practice restraint in regards to the words that you're saying. Obviously, it can't be just about being aware of like, uh, the sensation of sitting on the chair or being, like, mindful of the... like, something outside object of your senses. But, like, so from... From my understanding, like, you need to be aware, basically, you need to be aware of your own mind, like, the of how, like, the, of the fact that these, like, you're hearing these words, and now what happens in your mind as you hear them? Like, do you have the, does the mind react with uh, no. anger or not? And now, like, if it wants and... And now, like even if it's reacting in anger, then if you are aware at that point, then you're able to stop it. But if you are not aware, then you're not able to stop it. Or if you're kind of aware, if you're more aware, then you can like be be able to um, not allow the mind to react in right. anger.
1: So how are you then? Can, how would you but, then go about being see. aware? Being aware about being aware of your mind. How would you do that then? How would you then not not lose awareness of your mind so then you don't say something out of carelessness?
0: Well, if somebody is... But you need to just maintain awareness of your mind, essentially. It's something that you need to practice.
1: No, but say say I don't know what awareness of the mind is. Or in other words, it might mean one thing for me, another thing for you. So how can I understand what awareness of the mind is for you? How can I practically do it? I want to be aware of the mind the way you're describing. How can I go about and do that?
0: Well, it's like not to look at what you see and what you hear, not that saying somebody is is telling the is saying these words, but at that point you have to maintain awareness of who hears. Like what what is hearing? The like the at the, at that place or at that at that point, like who is who is hearing? Who is speaking? Who who is who is acting or who is, who is listening? Like to be a, like, if you are aware at that point, now, you know, like to know, to know at the point where the words are, where the sound example is meeting the mind, like, because when somebody is saying so words, so it is, of, so it's it is about, a, so, so
1: hold on, hold on, wrong. hold on, hold on. So if it's about the point where the sound meets the mind, it is about things you see and hear, because you started by saying it's not about things you see and hear. But if that's what you're paying attention, then no. it is about what you're hearing.
0: No, but what I mean is not to the not paying attention to the sound itself, but paying attention to how it is formed in the mind, like how it is heard. The like for example because I have I mean I can give many examples from my from myself. Like there is
1: Well it's heard as an like insult. The, for example, I heard an insult. So I was aware of hearing the sound entering my ears and everything else, but it was an insult. Mm-hmm. So how, how do I be aware yeah, of that? The, so I'm not insulted like, to begin with.
0: Mm-hmm. But the point is that it's a it's an insult only if you're like it's your mind that takes it as an insult. Like I am insulted.
1: Well, the mind took it already. You, so how do I how do I not be affected by that? Because everybody starts by already being insulted, affected, greedy, averse, and so on. Mm-hmm. So how do I then not they be already, affected it, by it, the insulted mind? Do I analyze what I heard? What do I do? No. How do I be aware of it so I'm not affected of it? With by it, sorry.
0: Affected by it doesn't matter. Um, so may, let me just get your question straight. So how do you be aware of be aware of this in the way that you're not affected by it?
1: Yeah, by the mind that is insulted. Because what by you uh, were describing to me sounds like okay, I'm hoping. Your case, so
0: you're assuming the mind is already insulted. Well,
1: that's that's what I'm trying to get to. Like what you described to, it's like I'm I'm basically trying to set up this practice whereby I will hopefully not get insulted by analyzing sounds or, or paying attention to who hears or introducing these other questions, they will sort of maybe deflate the insult. But the fact is, the pe- people start with an unenlightened mind, with a mind that's not free from greed, aversion, delusion, which means insult will be first. Lust will be first. Aversion will be first. So how am I not affected in the first place? Not how will I manage once I'm affected. How will I, who am affected now, Learn to not be affected by this.
0: Yeah. So, but first of all, I mean, I'm not really talking about analyzing the sound or, or something like that. It's just uh, on the level of, of like awareness. Um, but but if you're what you're asking is so like if you're already affected, then but first of all, if you're even if you're already affected, then at least if you have the if you are aware enough at the at the point of that like if you're aware of like being insulted that the mind that, it, you're, that you're insulted or that you that like this this uh, feeling of uh, of being insulted is there then at least you can decide not to speak based on that sure
1: sense restraint okay um,
0: so, like, at least then, if you are aware of that point of being being insulted, then you can decide not to speak mm-hmm. based on that. But you have to be aware of, like, of what's going on in your mind, of the like feeling of being insulted that are that is there, in order to then practice restraint or not. Um, okay. But you can also, like, I mean, but if you like, if you under first of, there's many. There's different points. How do you not become affected in the in the first place? Like I would say, partly, partly is based on kind of developing understanding, um, like understanding of the. I mean, this is more specific, but
1: so why then would I need to to ask myself? Why then would I need to ask myself? Who hears and who's offended and what did I hear and what sound entered? Why, mm-hmm. why is that relevant?
0: Um, no, but when I say uh, like ask who hears, it's not it's not as a kind of question that you kind of ask yourself or something to to analyze. It's just as a way of sort of pointing to the place to be aware like to to
1: well, what's the okay, place? not
0: looking outside at the sound.
1: But why would that be relevant? So the sound did offend me, the sound was the problem. No,
0: the sound is not the problem. The sound is a sound. This right. is the point like if you um, So then it
1: doesn't really matter like what I heard and who heard. It doesn't really it's irrelevant. What matters is I'm affected here and now. Doesn't matter why and who said what and to what extent. I don't need to pay attention to yep. to the words even in that sense. So the problem is not in those things. So how would you no, then? Not in
0: your, in not a, right. So
1: then, how am I aware of where the problem is? Because when I asked, you, do you, you describe the sound and the question and so on. I'm sure it meant different, but doesn't matter. The point is, even if even if you say, oh, you don't really ask a question. You just look for the place. Why? What place? Is it the place that I'm affected? Means, well, I am already affected. I already know that. I don't need to look for the place. So what is the problem? Let me put it like that. What is the problem in being affected? What is the problem in in an insult? Is it the words? Is it the person? Is it the attitude? Even is it my conceit, or is no? What is the problem there and then while I'm insulted?
0: What is the problem by being insulted? Hey, the fact is that you feel insulted already.
1: Like so, yeah, but what, what's uh, the, what is what that is that the what is the problem of an insult? Like sometimes a person can say something to you and you're not insulted. Sometimes they say the same thing and now you're insulted. What's the difference between the two?
0: The difference is, because, for example, you can hear the same insulting words from in a movie, for example. Or like in another context and now you will not get insulted because it's not because i'm not the same same context
1: i'm not not relating two different contexts which would be two different experiences the same experience same context same person same occasion same habit once i feel insulted another occasion i don't which is quite possible what would be the difference between the two it's not the words i hear it's not even the mindset i do recognize look he wants to insult me like yesterday So what would be the difference then between the two? The one constitutes an you get
0: affected by it or not?
1: Exactly. Pain. Suffering. Unpleasantness. That you want to get rid of. So you want to be mindful, you want to be aware. No need for sensations, no sound, nor self-questioning of the psychological nature, all of that it will be done inevitably in the beginning. But you need to maintain the sight, like the eyes on the prize, which is... No, fundamentally, the only reason, insult, torture, anything is a problem is because emotionally it's uncomfortable and I'm habitually resisting it. That's why I suffer. Not because of the words, not because who hear the words, who's offended. It's because when the experience of disagreeable arises, endures in this... Five aggregates, there is craving against it. And without a knowledge of that, it will be impossible. You a person will never arrive at it. Doesn't matter how much management, how much meditation techniques and vipassanas in the colloquial sense of the word, they do because it's all revolves around being affected already and missing the point. Which means for even to, to, to the slightest degree you miss that the point of insult is being unpleasant and you resist that, to that extent you will at least implicitly assume it's the words, it's the person, it's something I've done, I wasn't mindful enough, I I didn't do this, I didn't have my meditation, I made all this, mistake. I will not do those mistakes. All of that is secondary to the fact that no, presence of craving means presence of suffering, not presence of unpleasant words, unpleasant actions, unpleasant thoughts. So how would you be aware of that? You realize, ah, by recognizing where the problem is. So mindfulness, knowledge go hand in hand you will not be able to be mindful of these things unless you start discerning them. And you will not be able to discern them unless you actually hear about them in that sense. That's why the two factors for the arising of the right view is the right instruction and the right yoniso manasikara, the, the proper type of like knowing what the attention is, so to speak. Because if you just hear my actual words without the peripheral context of your own experience to which these words apply, you have no yoniso basis. So, you are just attending, literally taking word for word and mantras and so on, like what people commonly do. Oh, this agent said that, that agent said this, and so on. I read the suttas, I study suttas, but peripherally, you want to discern the context where this applies to you here and now, this very moment, which is why this very moment the roots of suffering are being maintained by you. And that's exactly how you get even the confidence, then you, you do, you're not even afraid of what you will hear in the future what people will do to you in the future. Because the place where the pain is has been uprooted, which is the craving. So it doesn't really matter what comes this way. The basis of suffering is gone because suffering was never in things that were coming through your ears, eyes and so on. Not even through your thoughts, so to speak. It was in your own ignorance of basically your own attitude towards your own presently enduring feeling here and now.
0: Um, yeah, at like this point about, yeah, I, this point of, if I can paraphrase, generally, yeah, that you suffer, but mainly what makes it suffering, what makes something suffering is because you, because of craving. Like, what makes anything suffering is because that you, like, want to get rid of it, or you want, or want something. No, um, you,
1: you are already doing it. So the, like, it's not, I want to get rid of it. I am already trying to get rid of it. That's why I already suffer. It, it's yeah. not on the level of yeah. choosing or not choosing. You're already, if you already suffer, if you're already yeah, affected, yeah, yeah. you're already getting rid of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the point where, there was one point that you mentioned that's. Um, like again, just again, in regard to the same example, like hearing, um, hearing insulting words. there is a, like because there is now you now you mentioned unpleasant feeling arises has arisen that you were trying to get rid of, and this is what makes it painful or suffering. Mm. Mm. If I got it right, um, but for somebody, somebody who's got rid of craving. And got, got rid of, uh, uh, yeah, got, got rid of their self-centered point of view. Let's say, how does the unpleasant feeling of being insulted arise? How can that be possible?
1: The insult, the disagreeability of it. But they're not resisting it, so What's it's not. What's
0: disagreeable about this?
1: Well, the offensive attitude, the uh, threatening attitude of the person. Perception of that. Perception is disagreeable of it. Like, same when the Buddha said, sometimes a monk asks him for instruction, he gives him the instruction, then he goes and does the opposite. Buddha sees him doing the opposite, not being restrained. And he said, the target is disagreed with that. He experienced a disagreeable feeling, but that disagreeable feeling cannot overwhelm his mind. In other words, there is no craving in regard to disagreeability of that perception. It's not that a person who is free from craving, an Arahant, has no concept anymore of people's behavior, or this is threatening... This is agreeable. This is disagreeable. No, he cannot be affected by it, but agreeability and disagreeability is still there, and that's the difference.
0: Um, but in the sense that yes, like the like something is okay
1: as a uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shouting at you. I'm shouting. I'm clenching my fist. I'm threatening to hit you. I'm calling you names. All of that is significant. Mm-hmm. You perceive that. You know what that means. Arahan does not lose the meaning of all these things. But he lose being emotionally overwhelmed by it.
0: Then you can judge, example, the behavior, the behavior. So you can see, okay, if you start to shout at me and to uh, threaten me and everything, okay. Say so I can see, okay, he's acting out of anger. It's wrong like it's immoral, sort of a, like it's immoral behavior. But why would it be disagreeable for me, like the? Example, or hearing uh, hearing insulting words is, there's no reason for it to be disagreeable for me.
1: Well, there is no reason to be, not be disagreeable either. You are not in a choice of, of, of how things arise for you. You just find things agreeing or disagreeing. Cold, hot. That's why the Buddha compared the words and abuse of others to should be endured like the way you endure the elements. You endure insects biting you. Yeah. So you trying, why yeah. is it that disagreeable, is basically overstepping into the domain of nature of perception and trying to say why is it like that. doesn't matter why. Only The only thing you can know and you are responsible for is are you resisting the disagreeable? Are you fearing it? Are you trying to get rid of it? Are you trying to prevent it out of fear and so on? And are you trying to prolong the agreeable? Are you existentially dependent upon agreeable? Why is there disagreeable and, and agreeable? It's basically like asking why the aggregate of sankara is there. Why the aggregate of perception is there? That's kind of a meaningless question because the question is the result of the aggregate being there.
0: Um, but I'm not sure because in regard to the like disagreeable things that arise from because let's say as let's talk about I mean a sound can be or like a yeah a sound can be. Something that, like, physically is, is yeah, hearing a, hearing a sound can be sort of physically painful for the ear, like, say, a really loud sure, sound. True. This is sort of a. So
1: it's disagreeable. Like,
0: physically disagreeable. You
1: don't suffer, you don't yeah. fear it, but it's disagreeable in itself.
0: Yeah. It's disagreeable. Yeah, it's felt so as So
1: asking why is it disagreeable, it's like asking why is there a sound. It's on the same footing.
0: <laughs> but what I was going to say is that the like disagreeable from from hearing words is a bit different because that's not something physical it's only on the level of the uh, how the mind how the mind takes it like if it's a, because hearing you can hear the same words based no, no. like in like as i said like you can hear an, well, insult, there would can be hear no... an insult in a movie
1: right well see, it's, it's not the words so it. it's the context that you're still hearing if you don't hear the movie the mind will have no context of impersonal insult. So whichever way your mind takes it, it did, it boils down to the sound you heard. Again, that's why the Buddha said he, uh, a skillful man can use heat cold, insect bites, abuse of others, and so on. It's on the level of elements besetting you. Because there is meaning even in meaningless sounds, so to speak, meaning to the point of disagreeability. That's what it means, screeching sound. Agreeability. I don't, it's nothing specific, there are no words to it, but it's still, in its very essence, it suits or it disturbs. That's it. And same with the speech. Obviously speech gets more elaborate because now there's all layers of meaning of the words in the language and designations. But fundamentally, none of that would exist if somebody didn't actually say it. If you didn't hear it. So, the sound is there still as a basis. And fundamentally, doesn't yeah, matter how much how much it means positively or negatively what the person said. Fundamentally, it all remains bound with the sound that you heard, the words. So it's agreeable or disagreeable fundamentally, pleasing or displeasing.
0: Uh, just the point I was trying to make, maybe it maybe, doesn't matter, but, the, but that the disagreeable is not in the sound. It's not because of, the, because of the nature of the sound. It's only because of the nature of the meaning, if it's, if it's about words. No, that's because, where you're suffering like, you is. Can hear the Yeah,
1: That's the difference between suffering on account of disagreeable and disagreeable I'm talking about. And the disagreeable I'm talking about is in the sound that you heard. That's, that's as far as basically your responsibility goes. You can now overanalyze and say it's because they meant this or they meant that, but fundamentally none of that would be even there if you haven't heard it. It would not be relevant. It would be like a movie you didn't watch. Yeah.
0: um...
1: And it's quite important what I'm saying is because... (coughs) If you do divorce agreeability and disagreeability from the perception through your senses, it enables you then to go through the analysis of the sound, not in an abstract sense, but like who, where it came from, separate the meaning, which kind of basically feels almost as if you are dealing with a problem of it. But you're not. The problem is not that sound is agreeable or disagreeable or neither, maybe it's a neutral sound. The problem is that agreeability... Disagreeability neutrality means basis for craving for you within you. But if you if you are focusing yeah. on the relationship between the sound and disagreeability and why is it disagreeable or why it shouldn't be and the meaning and so on means you you're not dealing with what the problem is. So it doesn't matter why it's disagreeable. What matters is, is there craving against the disagreeable? Experience as a whole of somebody saying mean words to me. Doesn't matter the individual syllables, the words, the accent, None of that is relevant. Who they are is irrelevant. Why did they say this? Why do they want to hurt me? Absol- absolutely irrelevant. What relevant yeah. is the experience yeah. as a whole is disagreeable, and that's what I'm resisting. If I stop resisting the disagreeability, the actual violence cannot harm me anymore.
0: So how do you stop? Re- what like what do you mean by resist? Stopping to resist. The disagreeable of it. Well, first see.
1: First, you need to see exactly. So, if you think disagreeability is not in the perception, you have misconceived it. If you think disagreeability is equals your suffering, you have misconceived it. So, you need to see disagreeability of the experience as a whole, as a risen phenomena that you did not necessarily create, and you have no say in it directly, but you are subjected to it. And that's why sense restraint needs to be done beforehand sense restraint that prevents one's mind from blaming the sound or the person they said or, some, or attacking them, implying they are the cause for my suffering. So you stop, you, you start restraining, then you still try to analyze the disagreeable. Why did I say this? Why did I react like that? Maybe I shouldn't do it. Was I mindful enough? All of that revolves around the fact that you are resisting the disagreeable, which means you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it for what it is enduring there. But if, you'd start actually, if you stop investing effort in managing the disagreeable, it's like, no, disagreeability is present. It doesn't matter on account of what. And then refrain for as long as it takes from jumping into the management of the disagreeable. Then you get to see that all you have is disagreeabil- disagreeability or agreeability and your attitude towards it. That's, the, that's basically the core. That's the only relevance here. That's the gateway for any suffering, for any lust, for any aversion that will then be manifested. Are you welcoming the agreeable? Are you resisting the disagreeable as a preemptive attitude, pretty much, as a view? And the only way you can see the view in regard to agreeability or disagreeability is to first start seeing agreeability or disagreeability correctly. That's where the Buddha himself said, All I'm teaching is suffering, like correctly. People don't even know what suffering is. All I'm teaching is dukkha and freedom from. So I'm actually teaching you du- dukkha, like the Buddha would say means people like can suffer the utmost, the greatest misfortune and still completely have no idea what the actual dukkha is. So dukkha and freedom from dukkha. Agreeability and freedom from agreeability. Disagreeability, freedom from disagreeability. But it needs to be seen for what it is. Because even when you have the view that, but disagreeability doesn't feel like it's in the words, all of that you have pretty much developed, inferred, maintained on account of experiencing the disagreeable words first. And then your mind, your thinking took you into explaining that it's not in the words and so on because it was first and it remained first. So you realize it doesn't matter, as I said, whether it's in this or this. Point is, experience as a whole of certain words in this particular instance felt disagreeable, and it was a problem for me, and that's why you gave in to all these reflections, mm-hmm. basically revolving around trying to 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 get rid of it, trying to free yourself from it.
0: Yeah, but no, I agree. Like this is not this is useless. Like to kind of analyze after the event is uh, like you're too late. Like that you already already. Be- was disagreeable, it was already a problem, and now you say, ah, oh, it was only because of the, it was only, uh, it was only because of the meaning, it was not because of the words, yeah, well that is useless, um, yeah, this a, uh, say agree. um, And then, it's um, like a BIA related point, what I because we now we're talking about agreeable and disagreeable, but in and and like feeling feeling suffering on account of that. But what I like, I would say that also like you know, we can talk about it on that level, but I mean. There is the kind of additional problem, let's say, in getting angry about something is it, one is that it's like one is that it's disagreeable. But um, I think most people, like as a, as a normal person, when you get angry, you don't even kind of notice that it's disagreeable because you're so focusing on the object of it. The, mm. the anger itself, you don't see it as disagreeable.
1: Sure.
0: I mean, the problem with anger is 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 more that it's in like unwholesome, that it's wrong, that it's that it's not that it's not good. So, like, from that point of view, like, you need to learn to, you need to learn to not be, to not get angry in the first place, okay? But... Like if you kind of, if you are getting, if you are getting angry already, then like if you're getting angry and then kind of saying it's not, if you, if you you allow yourself to get angry and to continue to get angry and to speak out of anger, like and your aim, yeah, your aim can be to not get angry in the first place. But I would say you kind of have to start by first not allowing yourself to, not not allowing the anger to continue or not allowing anything. That's what I say. You
1: need to start restraining yourself first. You're not going to see things on the level Um, of your mind if if your physical and verbal actions are not restrained beforehand. So you have to stop acting out of anger. You have to stop acting out of lust with a goal of not being affected by it in the first place. So if you're still affected by it in the first place, not acting, well restrained, but affected in the first place, you still have a massive problem there. That's the root. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're getting affected as much, or I'm not getting affected as much, no. Nature of being affected is something I'm still susceptible to, thus it's still the massive problem. Because often what happens when people get into practice, they, they start cultivating the environment that suits them, which is fine. But then they begin, they, they start to depend on that environment, whereby you, you will have a protected environment Well. You might be the senior monk, nobody will be challenging you, offending you, questioning you, nothing really to poke you around. So you don't really have this anger arising anymore, because now you're basically the lord yeah. of the land. Everybody's your servant, so to speak. So, But that doesn't mean you dealt with it. So that's why the Buddha would say, so you then ask yourself, okay, I'm not experiencing any current anger, but can the unarisen anger arise for me? If you have no idea, means yes, you got your answer. So, and that should be regarded as the root of the problem, not the fact that most of my time I'm not lustful, most of my time I'm not angry. That's because of the circumstances or because you're an arahant. Which one no. is it? So if person is honest, they'll yeah. know the answer. Yeah. But no, often yeah, often it's regarded as, oh, Dhamma helps me. I don't get angry as much. Are you still liable to anger? Yes. That's not the Dhamma. That's just your management on account of how you took Dhamma to be. be. But Dhamma actually will uproot it. means you will be incapable of anger.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It reminded me of that story with the... Mistress Vedhika, I think, and the one the the maid servant. The mistress was uh, supposed to be so patient and so kind, oh, and yeah, so calm. Uh, yeah. so she was, calm te- she and then was the testing
1: her,
0: yeah. tester Yeah. So, so,
1: so yeah, I
0: mean, that, yeah. That's I mean, why I was a uh, it's it's like it's a, it's a good point it's true like this I mean I was wondering even um because I've i I'm not a monk and I don't I'm not a, or or a nun and like we don't we don't live like that so um so it's kind of interesting uh inter- kind of interesting way of practicing here that you like you have kind of plenty of opportunity to see that to see that like anger can arise or like the that these that these things can arise. You're not in sort of a, a position mm. where you, uh, when you're never being confronted by anybody. So, in one sense, I would say that's almost a useful thing because you have to kind of be confronted
1: by the by the fact. That in a way, exactly. I, I think if it, it can be, it kind can of. be beneficial for people. But that's again, that's another place where peripheral awareness, whichever whichever way we want to call it, would be handy. Would would actually, like, result in knowledge. If people's practice is about current sensations and present moment, present moment, present moment, presently I have no lust. Presently I have no ill will. That's it. That's my concern, present moment. No, future present moment should be your concern. Unarisen lust, can it arise? Oh, oh yeah, that's another present moment that I'm obviously ignoring because I'm so absorbed in present sensations and, and, and present breathing and presently being here and now, you know, judgment free or whatever else, you know, people psychologize. Okay, that's fine, great. So the environment is suitable, you made some effort. Are you liable to lust? Are you liable to aversion? Oh, and if you are, you are presently liable, ironically enough. So you're so absorbed in the present moment that you don't see your present liability to the very things you you think you're overcoming. And that's... like See, the possibility of future lust, it's not present there, so you cannot attend to it. That's exactly why people have people who are used to this kind of practice of just, just what's in front have problem understanding what Yoni Samana Sikara is, the way we describe it. Have, have cannot grasp peripheral because if the moment they think it, they make it in the front. But it is there, a possibility of future lust. It's exactly that. See, it's an intention that persists there because you're not free from lust. Arahant has no possibility of future lust. No intentions of lust, gone, uprooted. Because he has made the effort on that on that right level, understood it.
0: Uh, Okay, but yeah, this was a this was a point in the video yesterday that I wanted to ask about anyway. So, um, like when you say the possibility of future, like the yeah, the possibility of future lust or future sexual desire or future anger. like, yeah, it's, it's it is there as a possibility and it is a problem.
1: Which means um, it's a possibility of future lust means it's current liability. And that's a problem.
0: It basically means that you haven't uprooted it. Like as long as if there's, exactly. there's, it's there because you have not uprooted it. Yeah, like
1: means you you haven't actually you have yeah you uprooted. haven't fixed the problem. So everything else that's around you, like oh, most of the time I'm not angry, most of the time I'm not lustful. That's all circumstantial and should be regarded as such for as long as you don't approach it. That's the true freedom. But many people, by just focusing on what's in front, what's in front is that I don't get lustful, don't get angry. Oh, I must be free then or something. But until you get lustful or angry, then you quickly deal with it. And then you say, well, most of the time I'm fine. But if you're honest, you would see... Being liable to it, that's where the problem is rooted. So am I free from that or not? If not, means most of the time circumstances suit me and they don't challenge me. If that were to change, my mind would be overwhelmed by those things that I basically think I uprooted. Uh And you don't want to wait for Uh that to tell you to happen because it would be too late to deal with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, like yeah, I see that it's like it's it's a useful it can be like it's a useful thing to like ask yourself or to put this kind of pressure on yourself to um see, okay, even if I'm not getting angry right now I can get angry or it's could I necessary. could I get it's angry. Not, or it's is not it it's
1: not optional. It's it's absolutely it's the only uh-huh. gateway towards right uprooting. Everything else is management. Mm-hmm. Even if all you do is read the suttas and, 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 and practice Unless it's done through this gateway of liability to Dukkha, one way or the other, it's going to be on the level of management.
0: Um, okay, but the but the question I had was about like, why do you... Because, I mean, is Dukkha not present anyway now in your current experience if you are... like Because it's, it's present... Is it not present anyway? Like, why do you need to think about the liability for it in the future?
1: Because that's what Dukkha is. Dukkha, uneasiness, dis-ease. That's what it is. Liability. I mean, the, the divine messenger, the Buddha, wasn't sick, wasn't old, and wasn't dead. But he recognizes inevitability. So if he just focused on whether it was present, he wouldn't have seen those things as divine messengers. So you need even wisdom to recognize where the problem is, let alone to begin dealing with it.
0: Yeah, in the sense that, yeah, in the sense and that see, like, I'm not... Exactly. Old, I'm
1: the not fact fixed, that I'm you're not, liable to no suffering... Pose. Yeah, The fact that you're liable to suffering, if you recognize the liability currently, it's currently unpleasant. So actually, Dukkha is present for everyone who is not free from it, from that liability, it's just that it's not seen. Hence, the Buddha teaches Dukkha first, and then freedom from it. Most people won't even see their liability as a problem.
0: I mean, yeah, like pay, pay When you pay attention to the idea that you are um, that you are subject to suffering, this is unpleasant, or this can be this can be unpleasant. That is, it is unpleasant. Mm. But if you don't pay attention to the idea of the fact that you can that you will suffer, that you will get old, that you will get sick, that you will die, you don't pay attention to that, then you don't feel that as suffering.
1: Yeah, that's where you need to start paying attention to it. Because it is your reality. It's unavoidable. You can choose to not pay attention to things that are avoidable, but it's unwise thing to not pay attention to things that are unavoidable. The divine messengers. I mean, yeah, if you don't pay attention to sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, they bother you, they'll stop bothering you. The fact is, you can be bothered and you will be bothered first. So you choosing to not pay attention is you choosing to ignore the problem. I mean, if you if you don't accept that you're ill, you'll think you're healthy. Yeah. And that is pretty much the common world's sort of way of dealing with a problem. <laughs> Just ignore it. Just ignore the problem. It's not there. Don't pay attention to it absorb yourself with your nostrils or soles of feet or where the chair touches you or something don't pay attention to your current liability of your existence because it's just too overwhelming
0: and what do you mean exactly by like paying attention i mean you have the you can have the idea that i will suffer in the future okay so like then and like i remember you um and said in the video yesterday like you don't need to keep you don't need to keep paying attention to the idea and keep paying attention well you to you the need to will pay, suffer keep
1: paying attention to that idea yes. if if the mind is liable to like just ignore the problem but once you become aware of the problem you start feeling that concern that dukkha then you don't have to keep paying attention to it in the same sense of oh am i like because now you feel it that you are liable and you already know so what you feel becomes pretty much the, the exemplification of your knowledge of your situation. And that's exactly what we said. If a person does feel Dukkha correctly, there are only two possible outcomes. Madness or noble search. There is no third possibility. If Dukkha is seen correctly, mind will either go mad if he cannot deal with it, or if he has enough composure, it will seek, how do I uproot this? And most people never yeah. even allow... That choice to manifest, even the ones they commit to the practice of Dhamma and so on. It's all done on the level of management of the current disturbances, not on the level of uprooting my fundamental liability. Sickness, aging, death. Um...
0: So I'm just trying to um like yeah, so in the beginning you from from the beginning you need to recognise that you're that that yeah, that you that you need to recognize yeah, this is like to get the to start practicing from the beginning with the right attitude it should be this, like, you have to know that you are sick in order to go see the doctor, to, like, otherwise, yeah, if you, if you don't know that you are sick, if you don't feel that you are sick, Mm. you don't go to, you don't go, you don't go to see the doctor. Um, but, like, what is still not that clear for me is, like, the, 'Cause then I mean they then you start to then you have to start to practice, right? So like what I'm trying to understand is what, what the practice is like what is the what the practice is. Yeah. It's yeah, it's well, that's the mean, if you start point, living
1: if you start living within the recognition of your pretty much perpetual liability to dukkha, prey to suffering, as we would say. And not give in to like psychologizing, managing, trying to explain it to yourself so you don't suffer as much. You will then abandon that which is basically liable to that to that suffering. So you would then, and that's where this, this all the other talks we did on the sense of ownership, and Nietzsche seeing correctly, that's where it applies, not on the level of explanation of the world as often. Oh yes, the modern science has said everything is impermanent. The Buddha has said, see, modern yeah. science and Dharma, it's the same. No, first you need to feel that existential liability, and then recognize that a Nietzsche, and then give up that because of which you suffer. Give up your self centeredness, give up the dependence on pleasure, all the Upadanas the Buddha talk about. But only on the basis of that framework of I am liable and this needs to be uprooted. Because otherwise if you when take do, it so when you say if you that. don't take it on that basis, sorry, if you don't take it on that basis, it will be taken through the attitude of management of the disturbance of suffering, not the uprooting of the liability to it.
0: I mean, like what I was talking about was more about the um, and like I, I like I agree. Like my, you're trying to just managing and not kind of uh, not have things that are disagreeable to you, is uh, like no, or not to be not to. Yeah, not not to like suffer so much, or not to. It's it's no hmm. use. I mean, example that like you will always just try to get away from the things that are disagreeable, but you won't like uh, you won't try to remove the things that are agreeable.
1: Yeah, so, example, so the management like I'm referring to, to is not you know, it's not necessarily it's not like a choice or people choose I will manage. It's basically the yeah the the, the default result if you are not operating within the liabil- the recognition of liability to suffering. If you're not operating within a framework of that existential anxiety, you are managing your suffering. Even unknowingly. Things you do will be on the level of management, not uprooting it, because you have well either have no recognition or have fallen from the recognition of that general anxious nature of your situation. Dukkha, unease, disease. Not dukkha, oh this is bothering me. That's all secondary to it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Dukkha is, if it's only when something is bothering you, then it's very yeah. easy. You can just try to find uh, you people You so put yourself it's, it's in not, a place It's not really, it's the problem you.
1: The problem is not that people haven't heard enough of Dhamma or haven't read enough of the suttas. The problem is that pretty much none of them, like all the people that practice, but without actual becoming arahants and so on, means something's wrong there. And it's not that there was lack of teachings or lack of suttas or Buddhist instruction or that it's not clear enough is that they never ever heard or learned on what level it needs to be applied and it was always stayed within the framework of management, unknowingly. So that's what I mean. You have to stay within that recognition of that liability, prey to suffering, which is pretty much the framework of anxiety. So that's why people would go mad if they stay on that level and often would like or quickly manage it because, yeah, they don't know any other way. So, you need to sense restraint virtue is what will prevent you from going mental.
0: Um, okay, so there's two things. Now, you said here um, you said that sense restraint and like morality is pro- what prevents you from going mental. Yeah. And you said that. Um,
1: It will prevent you going mad on account of anxiety. You will not yeah. uproot the anxiety. Yeah. Then you can um, uproot it eventually.
0: Yeah. And to put in, like, uh, basically from, from, if I, if I understand well, like if you, if you, to practice correctly, if you want, if you practice correctly, and then you have to be always practicing with a view, basically, to the aim of, Uprooting. of, of. Getting out of suffering, yeah. Like this has to be the aim
1: constantly. The liability like everything yeah.
0: should drive you towards this aim. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this is what I, this is what I understand. Like that, you have to. Like this is your, the aim should be always at every moment. Yeah. And it's not, it's not
1: exactly. But it's not, it's not an to, abstract to, aim in a sense. It's not like, oh, I must keep yeah. this thought in my mind. It's, it's the anxious aim. It's no. the aim you feel. Anxiety remains there, liable to it. The aim is there, outlined. You don't need to think it anymore in that sense. What is my aim? What is my aim? But yeah. unless you have uncovered yeah, that yeah. liability of that's anxious in its nature, then you have to drill and drill until you learn what Dukkha is first. Yeah, so may first, like,
0: well, about, like, Making this aim clear and then taking your actions in order to bring, taking every action or taking every practice in order to bring you closer to this aim. This is correct. This is what I'm clear about. Um, then feeling like, uh, do you mean that you should have to feel anxious constantly in practicing or no?
1: Well, well you don't have to be like a, sort of trying to contrive anxiety. But if you're thinking correctly, you will feel uneasy. To what extent that uneasiness will be a threatening anxiety and fear or not depends to what extent you've basically developed your seal and are able to hold it. But the recognition of the peril is... is I mean, part of understanding the danger is part of freeing yourself from sensuality, from the world, from the aggregates, from everything. So the danger is still there. Arahant sees it. But yes, how dangerous... That danger is for you, it's basically how how much you have understood it or not. But it's still the same danger. So initially it's probably going to be very frightening and very anxious. But if you don't act out of it, don't break the Sila sense restraint and that strength that you've accumulated through basically controlling your output of your behavior, then you can actually well, you you will be able like. Anxiety is a problem when it's threatening, when you, when there is a risk of being overwhelmed by it. If you have sustained it long enough, if there is less and less risk for that danger to overwhelm you. but you, st- And then you get to see it even clearer. Ah, the peril, the danger becomes apparent. And when the danger is apparent, you have abandoned any passion towards that which is dangerous. So that's what I mean. It's completely not abstract or on the level of ...theories of figuring it out... ...it's actually felt... ...the danger is felt first... ...and then you... ...not being liable to that same danger... ...is also felt... ...which is when the danger becomes apparent... ...thus the freedom becomes apparent from it... ...so how much you're going to feel... ...anxiety and when... ...in what process depends pretty much on... ...how much samadhi you have developed... ...how well your virtue has been established... And how intense is your current recognition of samadhi? Of sorry, of anxiety, of liability to suffering. Sometimes will be more. Sometimes will so you have good days, bad days. But that is that is the, the field where you have to do the work. It's not optional. That's what I'm saying. How much you're gonna suffer? A kind of is optional. That's what Buddha said. Sometimes for some monks, practice is pleasant with pleasant results, painful with pleasant results, and so on. But it's the same thing. It's not like, oh, I have this approach or that approach. It's just some minds are stronger, they will suffer less on account of the threat because they have more composure. Samadhi. Some minds are not that strong, so they'll suffer more. That's why Sariputta, who, who practiced through Vipassana, not Samadhi as much, his way was unpleasant and long. But then, yeah, he was the second to the Buddha in terms of the foremost wisdom. But if you start actually practicing rightly, even the unpleasant way, you will recognize the liberating aspect of it. So you will have no problem in basically enduring that anxiety. and doesn't matter how big it gets and how threatening it is. But in order to get there, you need to start rightly. And that will be hard for somebody who hasn't been practicing on that level.
0: So, Bejus, if I so to understand well what you're saying, you say that you have to, like, you have to feel anxious, feel anxiety, feel suffering, feel the suffering uh, in the sense that you are that you were like in a that you have no control over your over your life, and that you will get old, and that you will get sick, and that you will die no matter what you do, and uh, all of this. Um, so you have to start, like, start from this point. In order to have like the in order to like keep the have the aim and then keep the aim yeah, of keep the
1: right context um, as a basis. Yeah. For so the correct that. direction of your practice, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I mean, that's why um, people don't keep that right context. Not because they choose something it's because they don't want to feel that discomfort. It's not an abstract yes, choice sorry, that to, they make or some like that? a little mistake because they didn't have enough information. No, it's existentially avoiding the recognition that you are within the perilous situation without any means of escape. And that's very frightening. That's essentially fear of death in the nutshell. All the people who are not necessarily even might call it that way or be aware of it.
0: um can you hear me now
1: sure
0: oops okay okay um so yeah so just cut there a little bit the last part i heard was um that you were saying how when people like start by the on the wrong start on the wrong footing essentially or they don't practice rightly it's because of um Basically, because of ignoring, ignoring this fact, this, ignore, yeah, ignoring your, yeah, which means you can always fix, okay, you can the, always the,
1: fix your, your footing at any given time. You can always fix that. You can always restart and reestablish the right framework. But the thing is, the more you give in to ignoring it because it's fundamentally frightening and unpleasant, the more you drift away and more in, incapable of accepting it you are. Because the more inve- the more effort in trying to outrun it, you invested. So theoretically. Anybody can become an Arahad in any stage of life, but practically, if you spend 20, 30 years more avoiding this, and even practicing while avoiding it, it would be virtually impossible for you after all that invested effort to basically just wipe your slate clean and reaccept that fundamental liability that will fill you with anxiety and make you like back onto the day one. I mean, people won't do that in, for mundane things, let alone for something so profound and hard to uproot, such as, you know, existential anxiety, dukkha, fear.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, I think most people, they don't really practice with the, with the for that, for the aim of the, mm. of the, of the goal, really, they don't, they mm. don't, you practice for another reason, or for like, wanting to, like, basically wanting to feel better, or, to, uh,
1: and, and there is no other if, if they don't practice with that as a basis the right basis they don't practice Dhamma even if it's the Dhamma they're doing I mean the Buddha said it himself only yeah. like he, the, his teaching has only one taste like the ocean has only one taste of salt taste freedom from suffering nothing else so suffering freedom from it is the only place where Dhamma can be so that's what I mean it's not optional it's not oh let me choose this or choose that It's the only way, yeah
0: mm-hmm. um, there was maybe just one more i i I'm aware of taking up a lot of your your time already um, and I would just like to maybe to ask on one more one more point. Or two. Um, so, like, if I can kind of summarize, basically the like overall the the different points that are mentioned. Um, so, from the beginning, you have to start like with uh, recognizing that you're sick. Like the recognizing that you that you're what the nature of your problem is, and then you have to like make the aim clear a bit. Like, if you're not practicing with the realization that you're sick and like we needing to be healed, yeah, then you you're have not to practicing,
1: You have to resist the temptation to, to manage the symptoms at the expense of the recognition mm-hmm. of your illness that's still there. Even if you remove the yeah. symptoms, yeah, but am I still alive? Yeah, thus I'm still ill. So don't get complacent <laughs> yeah, like even when things don't bother you. Mm-hmm. And certainly don't yeah. make your practice revolve around dealing with things that bother you only.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, don't look just for a painkiller. Basically, like you want to go to the, you, you want to go to see the go to a doctor. Yeah, if the pain is to too healed, much, to take
1: pain the painkiller. Pain but don't forget that fundamentally, the only reason you needed to take the painkiller yeah. and p- the head pain is because you're still sick. There's still the underlying illness. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and as long as you haven't cured. The underlying illness Then Mm. uh, You can You can continue To take painkillers But the illness Is still there And it's getting worse
1: Exactly And now you don't even Have the symptoms To tell you How worse it is
0: Yeah Yeah Exactly So it's a It's a big problem (laughs) I agree Like Cause you can feel so calm like you can you can make yourself feel very calm by just like concentrating on the breath or something like that and you can spend hours a day just concentrating yeah. on uh, the sensation of breathing and now you feel so much better and you think everything's going so much better so you think you're fine so now you stop like searching for a way out yeah. because you think you're fine
1: yeah that's that's why I said in other talks like most of like Today's meditation, Buddhist meditation practice, is just calming techniques, which is fine if you need to calm down. But don't confuse that for samadhi. That will result in panya and, and complete wisdom and liberation.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, like the, the other point is then about like what what does the like once you once you know what you're what you're doing, then what does the practice consist of? At one point, you said morality is to stop yourself from going mad. Mm -hmm. um I don't know if I have seen this uh like I think morality is essential like it's a essential base of of practicing morality is in the sense of like no not having any wrongdoing in in thoughts words or actions um and and then what you were what you were talking about what you were saying is that basically you um, you need to kind of realize that the problem like understand where the problem is in the sense that you um, that you can become affected by anger or that you can become that you become greedy or that you be, that you are um, or having desire for things in the first place and not to just like want to kind of manage these things when they arise so this point is okay um, and yeah so then the and then the correct practice like to what yeah what, what kind of still is like i'm kind of trying to figure it out is the like if you're if you're practicing rightly, like if you if you if you practice if you if you practice correctly, then you should see that you're practicing correctly, right? So there's no mm. need to have the same anxiety of um, that was there in the beginning if you know that you're practicing
1: rightly. Yeah, if you're not so, see, you're not ignoring your liability to suffer. You're not ignoring the peril you're not turning a blind eye, you're not distracting yourself from it, and it doesn't bother you as much. Not because you pretend it's not there, because you get used to it. Anxiety will stop bothering you when you get used to it. When you are able to maintain composure in the face of it. And the only way to do that is to train composure in the face of anxiety. Anxiety.
0: Um, and to come back just to just to come back to the beginning about <laughs> the because we were telling the base of like the base of being able to practice um, mindfulness correctly is to have the um, the right kind of awareness mm. to be able to uh, have awareness correctly, which um, is not about just uh, like paying attention to sensation or paying attention to sound or paying attention to something else. Nor is it about like. Analyzing your hmm. thoughts or analyzing your uh, like experience, and so now you were. Um, so now you said the periphery, meaning the like what you said was the basis for that, for on which you are paying attention.
1: Yeah, periphery attention means the, the background, the background um, of whatever it's currently attended in there. So the the the, the, no, the mind is the background in itself. The intentionality, the possibilities, as, as we described, that's already the background in itself. So it's that's that's what peripheral is. Okay. It, it, it can okay. sound technical, so and I think in those videos we use it for forwards. the sake of the context, but it's really the background of your currently engaged experience that you don't want to make into a foreground, because then, again, you, the point is not what is the foreground or what is the background? The point is to be aware of the background while there is whatever action, intention, presently enduring feeling and so on in the foreground. And that background is literally the knowledge of that situation, nothing else. No sensations, no none of that, nothing specific. That's why it's so hard to see, because it's non-specific. And what else is non-specific? Well, the nature of things is non-specific. The nature of this specific cup, the nature of this specific object is non-specific from the point of view of the specific object to which that object kind of pertains to. And that's that's in essence Dhamma, the nature of things. So it's always found in that background where the knowledge is. So that's what I mean. Oh, specifically, the there yeah, is the way,
0: a, where, not where the knowledge is. Yeah, where the knowledge is. So yeah. you, what so spec- you just said, like where the yeah. Specifically,
1: there is an insult, an angry voice. Everything, all of that, is quite specific. Non-specifically, there is a presence of suffering that I'm resisting. Non-specifically, there is discomfort. There are many different non-specific ways you can take, but it would be the same nature of this experience. So, fundamentally. The problem here is not what's being said, what's being heard, not even what's being felt. The problem is that within this, basically, experience as a whole, I'm resisting it and I have a view that I should not suffer. That I'm in control and I should not suffer. That's all implicit. So that's the nature of that experience. That is the background. That is the the vessel in which you... And that's why you get insulted when you hear something immediately. Because the framework ready for insult is already there. In other words, framework ready to resist any form of discomfort that comes through the senses is already there, currently maintained by you.